Greetings, Earthlings and non-Earthlings. Welcome to the Universal Diner. All are welcome here. As usual, we are cozied up in our spacious corner booth. There's always room for you, always room for our occasional guests to drop by, especially cats, and always room for light and love. Join us now as we explore within and share without. Simone, brother, great to be here with you as always. Yes. Yes, yes. Hey, guys. <laughs> Good to How see we you. Feeling? Hello, hello. How are we feeling? Are we hungry? Let's eat. Let's I eat. Think, I think I'll stick with my beverage. <laughs> okay. Well, we have to order something that'll kick us out. We know how this goes. Speaking of cats, there's one that just passed by. I see. <laughs> I I I guess it got the message. He, she? She. Mm. We love cats, by the way. <laughs> Animal so, lovers in general, but special tribute definitely. for cats. <laughs> absolutely absolutely well i'm quite hungry and there are several dishes that i could choose from one of them is community another is medicine as in plant medicine another is in the manifestation of being the i am realm or as i've called it with brother for the last several months neveling in honor of Neville Goddard. We could get all of these and and, and share. You know, top us. Sounds good. It definitely sounds like my life over the last 10 years. Yeah. <laughs> all the major themes of my life over the last 10 years. Great. Well, maybe you can go in the kitchen and help the chef. Huh. Yeah, I can do that <laughs> for sure. <laughs> well, let's let's start with community, shall we? Uh our relationship to it perhaps and the importance of it as we see it. And, uh, you know, all of this, of course, in service of you, the listener who might be able to glean something perhaps relate to or aspire to, uh, something that we bring forth. I find it kind of humorous that we would be talking about community when I think all three of us are pretty much hermits. <laughs> oh, the irony. Yeah. <laughs> of needing to be in, in our own silos just to record about togetherness. <laughs> yeah. But that's that's the key, isn't it? It's it's about togetherness and what that means and how that looks for, for individual people like us. Well, brother is the one who's most ensconced in community right now in, in different uh, ways and different spheres of influence. Uh, I'm thinking of the, the Russian nesting dolls in part. I'm thinking of the valley that brother lives in and then the, the smaller community within it. Um, care to share, brother? And being in a family yeah. community too. That's what I was alluding to. Oh, I see. Okay. <laughs> allowing him to ease into that subject. Yeah. I, when I think about community and look back over the last really the last 20 years of my life since i left the us i see so many different expressions of community in my journey since leaving the us and from going from living a very nomadic type of life going from one community to another living in little uh, spiritual bubbles 
in uh, Thailand where you guys are and in Peru to actually consciously creating a community in Spain and then now being here in in Portugal where another community type setting but all different expressions and then of course the family coming along and that's over the last 10 years as well yeah what to say about community i mean i left the us and i started living being drawn to these different yogic communities spiritual communities ending up in thailand and getting a taste of what it feels like to be surrounded after feeling so alien to my life in the us and feeling very isolated even though i was very immersed in in the world back then and in my life there feeling very alienated and it wasn't until i went to thailand and connected with the yoga community there i, I experienced community of like-minded and like-hearted people and felt much more seen and much more accepted and and not as alien and it was a definitely a very very nice feeling of being able to be myself fully and and express myself much more openly and allow for that expression to be received by by others and then ayahuasca found me and i ended up going to peru and sitting with the medicine for the first time and then going back to thailand to my community there and inviting the medicine to come to thailand and of course that's where we all met when diego palma came to thailand and i remember on that retreat specifically after the very first night of the ceremony which was absolute chaotic beauty this ceremony was the craziest most amazing ceremony yeah i remember and and i remember waking up the next morning and there was 30 30 individuals in the retreat 29 of us had never drank medicine before and uh after this first evening of the of the retreat the next morning everybody showed up for breakfast at the buffet and essentially we were all strangers if you will before the retreat and after that one evening we showed up for breakfast the next morning and everyone was brothers and sisters there was just nothing but love with everyone and everyone was hugging and everyone was smiling and everyone was just deeply connected after one night and i remember feeling like oh my god this is what i've been searching for my whole life this is it this is the way to be living as brothers and sisters and and I remember going up to Diego at that point and saying, brother, this is it. This is it. This is what I've been searching for my whole life. I'm moving to Peru. <laughs> I want to keep working with the medicine. I want to be a part of this community. And it just made so much sense to me. You know, it, it was just like everything that I, I wasn't even aware of what I was searching for my whole life. It just, there it was. And seeing everyone from all parts of the world all different backgrounds none of that mattered after the first evening all that was wiped away and we were just beautiful brothers and sisters all children of the universe connecting and uh 
meeting in that heart-centered space and and i was hooked i was just like yeah i'm i'm going to peru and several weeks later i ended up packing up and about a third of the retreat participants came with me and ended up moving to <laughs> peru with me and uh we moved right across the street from diego and yeah and then my life there living in this medicine community in Pisac, uh peru began and that was a magical beautiful time for almost five years and then going from there to holland and continuing my work with the medicine and then at some point the medicine started sharing with me okay now it's time for you to start your own community and i ended up following through on that and creating an intentional community in spain i don't know there's so much to say about community i mean i feel like it's such a it's tribal and indigenous and yet it's new the way it's being approached today I remember my first experience with community was when I went to Bali and I remember booking the trip. Oh, I typed in, I Googled spiritual journey, Asia, and I saw a shaman taking people to Bali. If you, if you've been to Bali, you understand the beauty and the magic of Bali. And if you haven't been to Bali, it's just one of the most, in my opinion, one of the most beautiful, magical, unique places on the planet. And I arrive at Bali and it's like a whole 180 degrees from the U.S. and from what I was brought up in the U.S. And just saw so much love and compassion and beauty in these people who have so little as far as material possessions and yet are filled with so much abundance and this sense of community that is so beautiful there, how they live in these little villages, you know, and, and the families stay in, in these villages generation after generation. And, and there's no homeless people and people begging for food. And it's just like, for them, it's unimaginable how you would let another human being go without food or, or a home. And I just remember feeling like, wow, this is, this is how we're meant to live. And it was just such a beautiful uh, awakening for me to see this possibility. And I guess for me, it created this possibility of living as soul family, you know, and I think it's been the big shift in the past in indigenous cultures. They lived as blood families in community and, and the blood families stayed together generation after generation. And one of the biggest shifts I've seen in terms of community is that because we have left our families in many ways, our blood families, and we live so much further apart than we ever have from our families, communities of today, the modern day communities seem to be communities of soul families, you know, where it goes beyond blood and, and we're connecting with like-hearted individuals and it's relatively new or it is new way of living you know in this way where we're not living together because we've been born into the same family but we're actually coming together finding each other and trying to learn how to live together as brothers and sisters and what that looks like and and it's a beautiful idea and it's a beautiful vision and it's a beautiful 
experience that we are living into and learning how to live in this way. And of course it comes with its beauty, but also its challenges. And, you know, if we look at a lot of the intentional communities around the world, I think over 90% of them end up falling apart and not really sustaining or growing together long-term. And uh, of course we can go into that. And I think maybe I've spoken long enough, but, you know, looking at some of the reasons why and the difficulties of community and, and the challenges of living together in the community in this time, perhaps it's something that we can all touch on. Yeah. I so love that you took the light half of the equation and really went with it. Beautiful, magnificent. And sure, buddy, I'll handle the shallow. I'll handle the <laughs> shadow. <laughs> I'll handle the dark side here. <laughs> well, the, that was also my um, my thoughts too, is like, I totally can relate to all the things that, that you've named brother and have also, you know, um, been weaving in and out of the same similar communities in the same places. Also having lived in Bali for a number of years and Thailand for a number of years and, and cycled through Peru and, and there are these vortexes of, places in the world where there are sort of this the this coming together of people where so much you know stepping out of sort of the matrix life that people are in and these very conventional conditioned ways of living that most people grow up in in the western world at least and then breaking out of some of that and then stepping into some of these communities in these places that we've named like it allowed me to live very differently than perhaps I would have otherwise. And yet there's also the shadow side to, you know, all the things that you've named. It's, you know, it takes a lot of, on some level, privilege to even be able to step out and travel to these places and to, you know, be able to live in these places and figure out a means to make a living and and also all the shadow side that comes with these so-called spiritual communities. And yeah, I mean, a, a lot of it is, you know, Westerners coming together, certainly from all kinds of different countries. Like there is an incredible amount of diversity of cultures and and yet, yeah, certain amount of privilege that comes with that. So not everybody can step into these kinds of ways of living um so i think it's important that that also gets named and then yeah a lot of people who come together in these communities are from very westernized ways of living so then you know how do you if we haven't if it hasn't been role modeled to us how to live in community then one comes in perhaps with a lot of idealism and then when it actually comes down to you know, how to do it, then the difficulties and the challenges arise around, you know, how to, how to actually live in community with each other in ways that is workable. And I think, Troy, you've got a lot of experiences around that yourself, right? With what in particular now? Well, just living in communities and intentional communities that are perhaps very idealistic and then end up not going so well or it's it falling apart because of 
human dynamics, right? And oftentimes the human dynamics that don't make these things sustainable is the shadow side of human dynamics, right? People have not necessarily dealt with their own stuff and don't know how to communicate. And, you know, we can get into all the like challenges that happens in the interpersonal dynamics that then interferes with the success of these so-called communities. And yet we all keep trying. <laughs> we all keep navigating these these spaces together, right? And perhaps learning along the way how to do it better. And maybe also like stepping out of it and being more of a hermit because, it, you know, it's like you kind of go, oh my God, I don't want to engage in that again. You know, I'll just do it on my own. And then that comes with its own shadow side of, you know, being in too much isolation, <laughs> which I think we uh, all have experience with as well, too, which I suppose is one of the reasons why we're talking about this is just that that swinging back and forth between I idealizing being in community and then, ooh, that didn't go so well, and, oh, I'll do it on my own. And then, you know, that comes with its own territory of challenges. So, like, you know, how do we how do we find our way with it? Yeah, just to riff on what both of you have said, we have all found ourselves in these largely international, very international, but largely westernized communities around the world, vortexes, places that draw uh, those of like mind. And of course, it starts with the vast majority of people that arrive at those places having been disaffected from their own culture and often their own families. So you have a lot of wounded souls that show up and, you know, beautiful that there are places for, for us to go. But usually you would not leave your home, your family, your 3D conventional outward obvious community, your town, as it were, your hometown or, or whatever, uh, unless there was something uh, quite empty about it or quite difficult about it or some kind of sense within us that there's got to be something better. And most of us then don't necessarily have the kind of skills required to live in community because, again, it was never modeled for us, right? We didn't grow up in kind of a healthy uh, family-esque or community environment where there was mutual support and, and there was also practice at sort of giving and taking in a healthy way and supporting each other and allowing for growth and change and difficulty, right? So what happens is you get a lot of people showing up to these idealized and idyllic both kinds of places uh, that are yearning for this sense of connection and community. Most of them, again, on the outside looking in from their own cultures, who want it, but don't necessarily have the skills to engage. And then we often find ourselves in relative isolation without even the kind of uh, flexibility or the give and take that living in our larger homelands or something would allow for. Thrust together, pulled together, whatever it is, and then trying to figure out how to relate to each other, oftentimes as as children, oftentimes without the skills beyond a childlike way of, no, that's mine. And, you know, I want this and, <laughs> you know, I want to sleep with that person. No, I do. And all <laughs> the kinds of things that, that come with it. And then, of course, you get people from outside of these realms 
or from within it, let's just go with the word indigenous people, people that are already there and see this coming, who who serve it well. And then you get other people who are very uh, opportunistic uh, from within that realm, but mostly it's people from the outside coming in to um, often to take advantage of or even prey on on people and their sensibilities and their obvious vulnerabilities and, and such. Now, I'm just speaking to the shadow side here. Um, while fully acknowledging all of the light that comes with it. But this this is the reality. And so whether it's an ashram or a commune or, you know, back to the landers buying, you know, big chunks of land adjacent to each other and everybody's still kind of trying to do their own self-reliant thing, which is more of a, a Western and Northern trip, um, but still having to have some relationship with the, the the people next to you. Even if you have 40 acres or 200 acres, you still have neighbors and there's easements. And it's just, how do we make this work? And it is primal. It is natural. It's completely unnatural to live any other way. So it is both inherent in our being and then also in all of the nuclear families and separations and everything that, you know, we've had in these, in these, in these societies where wealth has allowed to for people to live independently and separate from each other. Um, Yeah. It's like, we try to figure it out anew, neo tribalism in some respect, neo community. Well, just, just, you know, another piece around these kinds of communities that we've been talking about tend to be very youth oriented, right? It's a lot of people of certain, um, age groups somewhere usually averaging between like 25 and 45 perhaps right and so oftentimes there's the a missing element of kind of the younger like families that and the dynamics that families bring and then there's a really big missing component of elders which is you know in a broader society societal context of our westernized world is lacking anyways but especially in these communities there really there are no elders at all to give a sense of balance or wisdom or guidance or anything so you have a lot of people who are very much youth oriented and kind of over the top with like this is the way that we should be living without the kind of life experience of people who who have lived live through this kind of stuff so again it's just looking at you know the the beauty of what happens in these kinds of communities and the freedom that people experience and the exploration and also that which which is lacking and i think certainly coming you know into a different phase of my own life entering my 50s i'm like now seeing the how skewed it is with the youth oriented culture of these types of communities within the youth oriented focus of the larger society which doesn't allow for really important rites of passage that happen through the life cycle right like we're we're meant to move through an entire life cycle that that each phase of life brings very important lessons with it and our entire modern society is pretty much stuck at the stage of adolescence right you can be a 
50-year-old adolescent, which you tend to see, especially in these communities, very concentrated. So yeah, I, I certainly find myself more and more seeking like, you know, where are the communities that have more balance? Well, I can say that I've seen and been a part of the communities of the younger 25 to 40 year olds, like you're talking about. And now a part of a communal living where it is families that are leaving the conventional way of life and a lot of people feeling adverse to the system and wanting to get out of the system. And so now experiencing community more around families that are selling their homes and buying campers and looking for an alternative way of life which brings a whole other element to community and communal living as well. So yeah, there's so many dynamics and so many different expressions of community happening. I'm curious from your guys' perspective, what is the driving force that is causing people to look for these types of communities and alternative ways of living? Yeah, it's an interesting question. It's the breakdown of society. It's societies not living up to the promises they've made their own citizens. And that's primarily due to uh, hyper-capitalism, the excesses and extremes of capitalism, the greed that has taken hold. Uh, I was just coming across some facts recently that were startling. They always are. And this is a bit of an aside. But apparently 66 people now own half of the world's physical resources, and about 2,000 people own about 95%. Mm. The bottom half, as it were, of humanity has just 0.75%. Half of us are living on 0.75% of the Earth's resources. So even those of us that come from relatively privileged backgrounds, and you know, that's an interesting uh concept to explore too, because from the perspective of a Balinese people, we probably arrived seeming very poor, spiritually disconnected with our families, these poor souls, you know? Mm. So there's, there's that as well. So yes, we come from these privileged, you know, societies very often, some are a little healthier than others, you know, obviously like Norway is a bit more balanced than say the United States, but you know, We've got homeless people all over the place. We've got people falling through the cracks, desperately trying to hang in there without a social safety net, et cetera. You know, so, uh, you know, people are fleeing that, you know, mm. or at least more, more willing to take a chance. Like, I don't know what else is out there. Um, and I, I'm not sure even what I want, but I know I don't want this. There has to be something better, you know? or at least I'm going to go look for it or die trying. Well, and it seems that people are experiencing more and more of that squeeze, right? Like it's more and more expensive and harder to keep up with all the things that come with Western life, right? Like just to sustain yourself in a North American or European country, for the most part, people are incredibly squeezed, right? Like they they can't keep up with the amount of money it takes to just 
sustain a simple, you know, life like, you know, rent and cost of vehicles and and whatever goes with it. And plus then also people's need to have more and more and more and more. Um, and we're conditioned, right? All the advertising, all of is all about you're not enough, you don't have enough, you need more. And and people are overwhelmed. And so I think there is this movement, probably especially since COVID, you know, people started to look for like alternatives. You know, we may have been part of a a wave of people who kind of figured that out before the squeeze got even, you know, got to the point where it is now. We've all been out of the system for 20 years at least. But yeah, I imagine that, you know, we're seeing that more and more now. And it also reminds me of like what the feudal systems were back hundreds of years ago, where there was like one king or royal family that that sort of squeezed out all the peasants and just just you know may look different on the on the surface but ultimately it's kind of the same energetic pattern right that we're starting to move back towards these extreme divisions of wealth hmm. and yeah maybe there's something to be learned from that or you know if we look at energetic patterns that repeat which you know happens in our individual lives but also happens at a collective level perhaps there's something to be learned from that Let's hope so. I'd like to circle back to this idea of the uh, the disaffected not being uh, evenly or equally represented by various people at different stages of life. I mean, for one, it tends to be overwhelmingly white. I just want to fully acknowledge and put that out there because, of course, the, the black and brown people from our respective cultures tend to be economically disadvantaged and it's just less available to them. So there's that reality. There's that lack of representation often. Blessedly, increasingly, there's more and more of that. And I am just beside myself with joy in seeing that. I just feel so deeply pleased to see different people, especially from a diverse culture such as America, starting to be out there on the road, as it were. That said, there are few, if any, true adults and virtually no elders. And of course, there's a lot of things that are required of a youthful nature to break away and to try to create something new. There's a need for like idealism and, and, you know, excitement and joy and possibility and all of that. But also things like families provide some element of the bass note. If it's all young kids, it's like too tinny. It's like the high end of the musical spectrum. So families are kind of like the, the mid-range of, I'm sounding like a sound engineering expert. You can tell from my audio quality, I'm not. And <laughs> elders, elders provide the, the base note. Elders who know how to hold the space, who have witnessed a lifetime for the most part come and flow and go and the highs and the lows and have the love and compassion and wisdom to hold it all, to be there as support. Without any of those elements, it's shaky. Hmm. The foundation isn't there. So the walls are a little bit wobbly and the roof, oh, don't even get me started about the roof. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've definitely noticed that as well, brother. It's, uh, well, seeing all, all three of those aspects and yeah, there's just not a lot of examples out there. 
of you know and we're just kind of blindly going into this and trying to find our way what i see here in portugal and spain and portugal has become such a a hotbed for people leaving their conventional lives in europe and traditional ways of living and coming to spain and portugal because the land is cheap here and a lot of people are coming here to live alternative find alternative ways of life and it's almost like a, a beacon that's been sent out and these families are hearing about this possibility and it's like you said you know I, i'm not sure what we're getting into but i know we don't want to keep living this way anymore and they start coming here in their camper vans and and i think i shared this with you before uh, troy a couple months ago when you were here that's the conversation that i have with people is so similar you know these families come and i meet them and they're like how you guys doing how long you've been on the road you know oh yeah we sold our home back in back in holland and uh, we bought our camper van and we have our kids with us and uh yeah we've been on the road for six weeks and how's it been going yeah it's uh wow so beautiful and to be on the road and have all these experiences and I can hear it like in the, in the background, what they're not sharing with me. And then I look at them and I go, and it's really, really difficult as well, isn't it? And they're like, Oh my God. Yeah. It's so hard. You know, being in a camper van with kids and it's like, you know, they're, they're leaving something that they don't want to be a part of anymore. And yet they have no idea what they're stepping into. Um, this kind of utopian vision of living off grid and living more simple, it comes with its own inherent challenges as well, of course. And that could be a whole other episode, but yeah, I just see a lot of people searching, you know, a lot of people searching for something that feels connected and feels sustainable and feels, uh, grounded in maybe some deeper sense of safety and, and security and sustainability going forward in, in a world that is increasingly less and less predictable. Yes. And it's at the same time, it may well be that having skills that allow one to be mobile, let's just call it gypsy ability, right? To the, the ability to be and remain transient is, uh, one aspect of being a traveler, a lot of these communities are transient, and that is part of the problem. Uh, the tap roots haven't grown in, and yet it may well be that the only way that we survive and possibly thrive to any degree is to be semi-nomadic, to be somewhat mobile. It may be what's coming, and you know what else is coming? Us. We are the elders. We are mm. going to be the elders. You could say we're elders in training now, but at some point we're going to be that. That will be our role to inhabit should we choose. That will be yet another way we serve. Indeed, yeah, I already I have my gray beard, so I'm I'm almost <laughs> there. <laughs> I mean, in some ways there's an irony to the kind of that notion of uh being nomadic and you know that perhaps that's what's required and yet i think that there is um something that 
we deeply miss, whether we know it or not, right? That notion of the tap roots. It's like, as humans, we are connected to the land. We are connected to some, you know, there needs to be a relationship with the land. And if we are constantly transient, we never have the opportunity to grow our roots into the earth to, I mean, I see this from my own life of been very nomadic all my life, um, which probably is what set set up the pattern in my adulthood. But just my childhood was very, we moved a lot and among, you know, different countries and continents. And so there wasn't sort of that, that connection set up with the land and even seeing the seasons change, you know, to be in one place where you have the opportunity to watch the seasons of a tree or the birds that come and go through the seasons or the, you know, the changes of seasons themselves. We have very, very deep ancestral connections to that kind of way of living. We're part of the earth. And I certainly feel that plant medicine has given me a lot more, you know, of that recognition back but I still yearn for a connection with a place on the earth and find that that's a real struggle for me personally is like, well, where is my place on earth? Especially if I've never really had a place. And at the same time, I mean, the nomadic life is, does bring a lot of yeah, excitement and flow and and freedom and all of that. So it's like, where do you find the the happy medium between the two? Recognizing that a connection with the earth and land is super essential to who we are as human beings and being in a in a balanced relationship with the earth as well and each other. I'm so glad you spoke to that, Simone. Uh, I think it's important to acknowledge here that even true nomadic societies, one, always stayed together, and two, had the same migration patterns every year. So they were connected to the land and they would revisit the same tree or oases or whatever. And sometimes even in a in the pre-agriculture times, throw some seeds out to maybe come around the next year. So, you know, there the way that we're like jumping in airplanes and flying around and living here for a while and then living there for a little while. I mean, this is, as brother spoke to, totally new for the human being <laughs> to experience. <laughs> yeah. And look at the technology, like look at us, right? We're, we're in different parts of the world and here we are connecting with each other on these screens and using technology and there's beauty in the ability to do that. That's never been done before in the history of humanity, right? That I can talk to Troy in Northern Thailand and brother in Portugal and I'm in Southern Thailand. And and yet, if we were all sitting together in our booth, in our universal diner that, you know, in person, w there would be a different, like there's something in in our nervous systems that requires personal connection and personal like just being with each other we don't even have to talk right it's just like being in each other's presence as community as family as you know relations there's there's some 
medicine, there's a really important medicine in that, that on the one hand, we're lacking because we don't get to hang out with each other in person that much. And thankfully, we have technology where we can at least do do this. Okay, it's settled. You guys are moving to Portugal. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> I'll find the diner. You guys go. <laughs> Well, I think yeah, I know that the closest the closest diner to you, we can yes. rent, rent a corner. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> With age and or eldership, I certainly feel the the lessening of the appeal of travel and even of the sort of abstract notion of external freedom that even if one doesn't travel, one could always do it. That's less and less important to me. And what is more and more appealing is exactly what you were just speaking to, Simone. Roots, ground, culture, familiarity, pattern. It will probably not be in my homeland. And so there'll always be some degree of novelty. And you'll always be a little bit of an outsider in all probability in most other places that you would go. And yet that's what feels like the natural unfoldment of a naturally lived life. It is here I make my stand and it is here that I share my gifts as an elder, just as an experienced human, if that word doesn't work, just as a a human being that has not just made it, which is to be honored, but that really went for it in many respects, in many ways, and lived to tell the tale and what a tale it is. And here, let me offer this to you now so that your way, young one, may be brighter, less dangerous, more rewarding. Well, and just the notion of feeling held, right? Like, I think there's such a I don't think we're even that conscious of what it means to feel held by someone who has more life experience, who has come to a place of, you know, heart-centered living through their own life experience. And perhaps that's a big part of what what is lacking for so many humans is not even knowing what it feels like to be safe, to feel held, to feel cared for, to... You know, there's so much in our culture, especially North American culture and American culture that that seeps into the world around this individualism, right? You've got to make it on your own. And and that, too, is a myth. And a very harmful one. Mm-hmm. Mm. Wow. Well, we could be going in all kinds of different directions with this. It's mm. um, oh, so much to be said about it. Well, I like the idea of leaving off at this juicy precipice, shall we say, on this juicy note so that it's here full of juice to pick up again. Indeed. Sounds good. Thank you all. Thank you all for being here. May this serve you in some way, bless you, and we'll see you next time.